Last time we were together, we found ourselves in the middle of an extreme weather event. We were in an extreme weather event last week, you know, right here at church on Sunday morning during the sermon. No, it wasn't raining on us in this building, and the waves were not crashing on us literally, but, you know, we were in the middle of the story with Jesus and the disciples on the boat in Mark chapter 4, and it felt like we were getting pummeled by the waves along with them. Jesus and the disciples were in a boat headed for the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee when a when suddenly a violent storm erupts on the sea. The disciples, who were experienced mariners, were being overwhelmed by the storm. Amid this maelstrom, we notice a striking contrast between Jesus and his disciples. A striking contrast. He was at peace. They were in panic. <laughs> if you turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Mark chapter 4, I want to read the passage again for us in its entirety, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. I'm reading from the NIV translation. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He was at peace. They were in panic. Jesus was at peace because he trusted God in the storm. He was able to sleep because of his perfect trust in the Lord. Professor David Garland writes, and I quote, The disciples, however, do not interpret his untroubled sleep as evidence of his trust in God, which will also ensure their welfare. They regard it as a token of his indifference to their safety in their hour of danger. In their panic, they cried out to the Lord. The scripture in verse 38 says, the disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? The tranquility of Jesus is Interrupted by the terror of the disciples, they run to Jesus in a state of panic to enlist his help in the dire situation. They awaken him with a frantic appeal. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
Their desperate appeal is reminiscent of Jonah chapter 1, verse 6, where the panicked sailors awakened Jonah after he had gone below the deck of the ship and had fallen asleep. Jonah chapter 1, you may recall. By the way, it is ironic that these same disciples will go to sleep on Jesus in his hour of suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane after he will repeatedly have urged them to watch and pray. Apparently, Jesus was sound asleep. So I could imagine their frantic plea might have even startled him a little bit. Again, these men were seasoned fishermen who were experienced at encountering rough weather on the water. The situation had to be extremely serious for them to feel compelled to wake Jesus, the carpenter, to save them. <laughs> They're the mariners. Jesus is the carpenter. They're appealing to the carpenter to save them on the sea. They actually feared for their lives in this violent storm. The severity of the storm quickly exceeded their skill and overwhelmed their ability to navigate it. They exhausted all their options. Their courage was failing as the vessel they were in was failing in the storm. They became desperate. And that's why they turned to Jesus. They became desperate. That's why they turned to Jesus. They were at their wit's end. And they were running out of time to prevent a catastrophe. Let me ask a question. How desperate do things need to get in your life for you to run to the Lord? How bad does the situation have to get before we call on the Lord for deliverance? Hmm. Here in the story, things turned really bad for the disciples, and they called on the Lord, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, they addressed Jesus as teacher. In Matthew chapter 8 verse 25, in the same story, the disciples addressed Jesus as Lord. And over in Luke chapter 8 verse 24, uh, it uses the word master. So which title did the disciples use? Probably all three as they were all trying to awaken him. <laughs> Some yelling Lord, some yelling master, some yelling teacher trying to wake him up. After all, it had been a long, challenging day of ministry for Jesus. And he was tired, as we saw last week. The title teacher carried a certain kind of authority normally associated with Lord or master. And Jesus' teaching was often associated with his divine power, such as in Mark chapter 1, verse 22, which reports that the people, Mark 1, 22, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Could it be that even in this present situation, Jesus is teaching his disciples even while he's sleeping? Think about it. 
Has he turned the Sea of Galilee into a classroom for his disciples? One thing is for sure. They're about to learn a lot more about Jesus. Their frantic and frazzled question, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This frazzled question is both a plea for help and a cry of exasperation. In this moment, perhaps they wondered how the Lord Jesus could continue to sleep amid all the commotion of the storm. Does the Lord care about them and their well-being? Many times we who are Christian believers can sink into the valley of wondering whether God cares about our drowning in hurt and pain, drowning in trauma, drowning in confusion, drowning in personal misery, drowning in debt, drowning in mental and emotional anguish, drowning in fear and anxiety, wondering whether he sees our personal and private suffering, wondering if he is asleep on the throne, wondering, worrying, and wrestling within ourselves. God is not asleep. God never sleeps. Psalm Number 121, verse 3, says, He who keeps you will not slumber. The words, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing, translate for us personally into, Lord, do you not care that I am perishing? You feel as though you are failing, you feel as though your life is coming apart. The Lord is not indifferent to your suffering. If you have ever, ever wondered whether the Lord cares for you, the answer is a resounding, yes, he cares. The apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Does the Lord care about our suffering and struggles? Yes. Yes, he cares. And remember this. God's divine care is far greater than our human care. God's care means much more than we often realize or understand. Another way of putting it is this. When the Bible says God cares, that is immeasurably greater and far beyond the human capacity to care. When we say Jesus cares, we're saying a whole lot more than two words. Psalm number 55, verse 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But at this point in our story, the disciples are shaken. <laughs> shaken by the fierce storm. But Jesus is about to put all their fears to rest. 
Verse 39 tells us that he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Jesus responded to their plea by getting up from his sleep and taking action. He wasn't indifferent to them. They may have felt like he was indifferent because he had fallen asleep, but Jesus was not indifferent to their suffering and to their fears and anxieties in the moment, and neither is God indifferent to ours. This reminds us <clears throat> of the poetic prophecy of Isaiah chapter 51, verses 9 and following. Isaiah 51, verses 9 and following, which says this. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? Isaiah chapter 51, verses 9 and 10. The Lord Jesus arose to rescue the disciples and the boat from imminent danger. Remember, last Sunday, we talked about the frailty of the vessel they were in. It was not able to save them from the storm. Jesus saves them and the boat. He demonstrates his divine sovereignty over nature. Now, look, look. No, nobody controls the weather but God. Nobody possesses the authority to speak to the wind and the water and command them to listen and obey as if they have ears to hear, except God. When Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, now I want you to notice right at that point in the verse, both wind and water, they listened. Both wind and water are the most important meteorological elements in the development of storms. Atmospheric conditions related to wind and water always play the pivotal role in storms. How does God speak to the wind and the waters? How does Jesus speak to the wind and the waters? What language do they understand? Well, it is clear that the language Jesus spoke was audible and understandable, not only by the waves and the wind, but also by the disciples. <laughs> they heard what Jesus said to the wind and to the waves. In other words, Jesus spoke the same language he used in ordinary speech to his disciples and everyone else. It's not the language Jesus was using. It is his divine person as the Son of God and the divine authority he possesses that made the difference. 
the divine authority of his spoken word to the atmospheric elements reminds us of creation in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God spoke and the elements came into being. Christ spoke and the winds and the waves came to a hush. Here in Mark 4.39, the Son of God speaks and the atmospheric elements must obey the command of his word. If the wind and the waves obey when he speaks, brothers and sisters, how much more should humans obey when he speaks? Psalm number 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. John the Apostle, in John chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, writes concerning Jesus the following words. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus, the Son of God, was with the Father at creation, bringing everything into existence. So Jesus is able to command the elements of creation to obey his word. He has the power and authority of God because he is the Son of God. In this particular event, we see both natures of Jesus in action. Both natures of Jesus in action. On the one hand, his human nature. On the other hand, his divine nature. For you see, Jesus is fully human and fully divine. 100% human, 100% God. In his humanity, he was sleeping, but in his divine nature, he spoke directly to the storm. And the word he rebuked in this context is a strong command and recalls Mark chapter 1 verse 25, for example, where Jesus rebuked the demon and ordered it to be quiet and come out of the man. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Some of the older Bible translations read, peace, be still. Another translation reads, hush, be still. Bob Stein calls this a twofold command directed at a twofold adversary. First the wind, then the waves. By the way, this begs the question why do the winds and the waters become adversarial in this world? Now, I'm not asking the question how they become turbulent and troublesome and adversarial. Science tells us that. We understand how they do. As a matter of fact, very often science will explain this in the language of why. 
But science actually cannot answer ultimate questions of why. Science actually answers questions of how. For example, let me just give you a quick example as a footnote. Um, science can explain about and can talk about um, <clears throat> the origins of the universe and how the universe came into being. Whether we agree with all of the points or not, that's not the point. Science can explain how the universe, or has an explanation for how the universe came into being, but science cannot address the question of why there is something rather than nothing at all. As Sir Martin Rees uh, said once at a lecture at Johns Hopkins University, uh, that's a question for philosophers. To which I would add, that's a question not only for philosophers, uh, but for theologians. <laughs> you see, science cannot answer the question of why there is something rather than nothing. It can answer the question that there is something and how science thinks that something came into being. But why? Ultimate questions of why are theological questions, not scientific questions. So I'm back to the question that I just posed. Why, not how, why does the creation become adversarial? After all, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 tell us that God created everything good. <clears throat> the short but deep answer is Genesis chapter 3. That's the answer. Genesis chapter 3 and the corruption of creation brought on by human sin. You can read about this in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 22, where the scripture there talks about the creation having been subjected to futility and the creation going through convulsions in anticipation of the day when God will redeem everything. Even the winds and the waves have suddenly become adversarial against the disciples. Jesus, the Son of God and co-creator of the winds and waves, is powerful to save from doom and disaster. Jesus commanded, peace be still. And verse 39 goes on to say, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Okay, so if Jesus can calm the stormy seas, then surely he can calm your stormy soul. Not only is he able to speak peace, but he is also able to bring peace into your life. He is able to give you lasting serenity of soul. He is able to give quiet to your heart. He is able to give you peace of mind. Remember, true peace does not necessarily mean that everything or everyone around you is at peace, as we saw last Sunday. 
but it means that you are at peace despite whatever is going on around you. It's about that inner peace that only God can give, that only Christ gives. Peace with God through Christ. Peace within through Christ. Peace with others through Christ. Do you need the Lord to calm your stormy seas? Well, do like these disciples and run to Jesus with your problems and your panic. The wind and the waves will obey the word of the Lord. The winds and the waves crashing upon your soul. Jesus can bring them to a quiet hush. Peace, be still. When the Lord says peace, there will be peace. Now, after all had quieted down, Jesus asked the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples have no answer to Jesus' question. Did you notice that? They have no answer to what he asked them. This is a powerful rebuke of the disciples' hysteria. Their fear negated their faith. They did not need to be afraid, yet they were very afraid. Did they think in their hearts in the moment of testing that Jesus would actually abandon them? This episode, brothers and sisters, is an important lesson for us as Christians today. For you see, faith overcomes fear. When fear overcomes faith, we drown in our fears. We ought to trust God to be God. Nothing is too hard for God. Just ask the Lord in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, when he notified Sarah in her old age that she was going to have a baby. And remember, she laughed about it. And the Lord said, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is impossible with God, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 37, where the angel tells Mary that even her aged relative Elizabeth is about to have a baby. <laughs> this storm in our story was not too difficult for the Lord to handle. And the storm in your personal story is not too difficult for the Lord. Nothing in our lives is too difficult for him to handle. The question is, do we trust him? Do we believe God is sovereign and therefore all-powerful? Do you trust God? Jesus rebuked the disciples for their lack of faith in a time of crisis. It is easy for us to talk about faith when things are going good for us. But when we are threatened, do we actually trust the Lord? When things are going bad for us, do we actually believe that God rewards those who seek him? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. 
says that without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Jesus said to them, do you still have no faith? Hmm. After the many miraculous deeds the disciples had witnessed already, they should have trusted the Lord Jesus would deliver them through this, this situation, but they failed in their faith. And Jesus evaluates them as still having no faith. Is Jesus asking you the same question? Do you still have no faith? Jesus calmed the storm even though the disciples lacked faith. How much more might he have done if they had exhibited faith in that circumstance? How much we miss when we lack faith? May it never be said of us that we still have no faith. The disciples had no answer for Jesus, but they still had questions. Verse 41 says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I like the old King James Version, which reads, what manner of man is this? <laughs> now, having walked with Jesus thus far, do they still not understand who he is? When we lack faith, we lack understanding. Always remember that. Lack of faith contributes to lack of understanding. <clears throat> Though they are in awe of Jesus, the disciples still have only the vaguest inkling of who he is. Even though they struggle to understand Jesus, the disciples positively affirm his power and greatness when they exclaim, even the winds and the waves obey him but they still have much to learn. But at least they acknowledge in the moment, even amid their fears and the rebuke of Jesus, having rebuked the winds and the waves and them for their lack of faith, nevertheless, they acknowledge even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, let me ask you, who is this Jesus? Do you know him? Or a better question is, does he know you? What manner of man is this? Well, in answer to that question, let me put it this way for you. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah who was foretold in the Old Testament prophets. He is the God-man. He is the Prince of Peace. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the divine word of God. He is the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the eternal life. He is the medicine for our souls. If the wind and the waves obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ, what about you and me? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for walking us together through this episode where Jesus stilled the storm and saved his disciples. Oh God, we thank you for the lessons that you teach us about the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ ultimately on the cross of Calvary. For at the cross he would perform the greatest of all miracles in that he would die bearing the sins of the world. All of the waves of the world would come against him on the cross. He would bear all of the sins of the world and all of the waves of the hatred and the anger of sinners who desperately needed his grace, though they didn't know it. Jesus bore it all on the cross of Calvary, buried it in the grave, in the borrowed tomb. And you raised him from the dead, vindicating his death. You raised him from the dead on the third day. And he is alive and he reigns forevermore. Oh God, we thank you for Jesus and for the power of this gospel to save even the most, the worst of sinners, as Paul the Apostle called himself. Oh God, we thank you that Jesus' precious blood and righteousness is still saving souls down to this very moment, even today. And we pray for anyone who now needs to repent and believe and trust in Christ and in the gospel of Christ to be saved. May your word and your spirit work salvation within the soul of the sinner. And may your word and your spirit continue to work sanctification in the soul of every saint. To the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen.